My goodness, that day's coming one day. It really is. Maybe today. I don't know. It may be tomorrow. Maybe today. Maybe before we finish this service. And I hope and pray that you're ready for that trip. I really do. Well, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, familiar passage. And then we'll look at 2 Peter. 1 Thessalonians, this morning I want to share a sermon that I've entitled, The Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. And we'll read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Then we'll look at 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 13. And we're going to look at the day of Christ, but the day of the Lord. And so we're going to see what God's Word has to say. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, but I, do, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus are those who have died as believers. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. It's not something we think or heard somewhere, but we've heard it from the Lord. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now if you would look to Second Peter chapter 3. And we want to look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And we want to look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, or the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to worship you and now to hear your word. Speak to our hearts, I pray, as we study your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Give me the wisdom. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say the man. Let me say what you would have me to say. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, verse 8 will be our text this morning. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter begins to focus on the subject that was dear to the hearts of the believers of that day that were facing persecution and uh, death. Because they had believed in Jesus Christ. So his subject was the return of Christ. Now, Peter is writing to believers to remind them that God's word is true. And in his time, he would return. Although scoffers, in verse 3, were saying things different. Now, I want us to pause right here just for a moment, and I want to qualify the difference between the day of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, first of all, you have the day of Christ. The day of Christ. The day of Christ is a day only Paul speaks of in the books that he wrote. We just referred to that uh, day of Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, if you'll keep your finger on that for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, that... That day of Jesus Christ is also referred to as being caught up. It's also referred to as the rapture. The day of Jesus Christ is also referred to as the the outcalling of the body of Christ. Also referred to as the silent uh, disappearance of the believer. It's also referred to as a resurrection of believers who have died in Jesus Christ. Isn't it comforting to know that one day we're going to see our loved ones again and we're going to know them and they're going to know us? That's going to happen. We'll know them, they're going to know us. 
And so the point is the day of Christ, the rapture, the outcalling of the body of Christ could happen any moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. That is the day of Jesus Christ or the outcalling or the catching away of the church. And so first you have the day of Jesus Christ. But then secondly, in 2 Peter, you have the day of the Lord. Now let me, before we turn there, let's look just a moment because Paul mentions that day of the Lord in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Drop down to chapter 5 from chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have... No need that I should write to you. Verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So Paul talks about the day of Jesus Christ, which is the rapture, the, sec, uh, the rapture or the snatching away, the outcalling of the church. But then he drops down in chapter 5 and he says, You don't need to know about the seasons and the times of the day of the Lord or the day of God. Why is that? Because you're not going to be here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're going to be called away. You're going to be called up. And so you're not going to experience the day of the Lord or the day of God or also referred to as the day of Jehovah. And so Paul is referring, literally he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, there's no need for me to write to you about the day of the Lord. Why is that? Because you're not going to be here. Because the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord was prophesied in the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament to the book of Revelation. It was carried forward. And so the point is, the tribulation, the second coming, the end of tribulation, all of those things are associated with the day of the Lord, the day of Jehovah. It's a time of judgment. So remember, as we distinguish between the two, the rapture is not associated with famines and pestilences and earthquakes. The day of Christ, the rapture, could happen any minute without any of those things happening. But secondly, the day of the Lord is always associated with the tremendous wrath of God. And it's mentioned from the Old Testament all the way through the New to the book of Revelation. For example, in Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 2, I believe it's verse 12, says this. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So all the way in Isaiah, you hear about the day of the Lord. Also, you'll find it uh, in Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11. Listen to this. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Really? The sun will be darkened and it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity and I'll halt the arrogance of the proud and, and I'll lay hold to the haughty of the terrible. 
and I'll make a mortal more rare than goad, and a man more than the goad wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I'll shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. That's the day of the Lord. Again, you'll find it listed in uh, Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 24, verse 21. It shall come to pass that in, in that day that the Lord will punish the high and the host of the exalted ones, and on earth the kings of the earth. So he's going to take care. He's going to bring judgment on the kings and those that are high and mighty during the day of the Lord. Jeremiah 25 says this in verse 31. Jeremiah 20, I believe it's uh, 25, verse uh, 31. Don't have, a noise will come to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with all nations. Not just Israel, but with all nations. And so you have the day of Christ, the rapture. Then later you have the day of the Lord. Fierce judgment coming upon the world. The day of the Lord, you know, it appears 29 other times in the Old Testament. It appears in Ezekiel and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Zephaniah and Malachi. The expression is used four times in the New Testament, the day of the Lord. And so this judgment will terminate the millennial reign of Christ and will usher in the eternal state. So we have the rapture, and after the rapture, the tribulation period, and after the tribulation period, after the second coming of Jesus, then you have the day of the Lord. Well, all these catastrophic events taking place. And so Peter describes the totality of this most remarkable prophecy in the Bible there in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it, and all of that will be burned up. That's going to happen. Therefore, there's a difference between the day of Christ, the outcalling of the body of Christ, which could happen any minute, and then the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, when a terrible judgment terminates the millennial reign on earth and ushers in the eternal state of mankind. The point is, it's been a long time, but we continue to wait for the day of Christ and later the day of the Lord because judgment is sure and judgment is coming. And so Peter gives an answer to those scoffers. Look at 2 Peter verse 4. And they, they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? They'd heard the Old Testament. They'd read the Old Testament. They'd read about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Obadiah and Malachi about this terrible time of the Lord. And they're saying, well, where is he? If he's coming, where is he? Why hasn't he shown up? And so Peter gives them an answer. And he gives them an answer in verse 4. And he, verse 4 says, well, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They say, the scoffers said, everything is just like it's been since the world's been created. And Peter gives an answer. The first answer is, things are not the same 
Things are really not the same. We're moving toward the day of the Lord. And what comes before the day of the Lord? The day of Jesus Christ. But we're moving toward that day of the Lord. And as we move toward that day of the Lord, there, there, it's not all the same. There have been divine interventions all along the way. All along the way. As we move toward the day of the Lord. Divine interventions, uh, divine uh, consolations, divine interventions, divine interventions. Look, if you will, um, at 2 Peter 3, verse 8. He says this, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years one day. I've scratched my head over that verse for a long time. Now, how do we decide, how do we decipher what that verse means? Well, you can do it in three different ways. First of all, you can spiritualize it, and a lot of people, a lot of preachers do that. Or you can theorize it, and some preachers do that. Or you can I believe the best way to interpret the Scripture is expositionally to find out what the author said, find out his meaning, and find out the occasion of it. So, what is the occasion? Well, first, the questions of the scoffers. The question of the scoffers is, where is he coming? Why hasn't he showed up? Verse 3 and 4. Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue on as they were from the beginning of creation. Why hasn't he showed up? So what's the answer to the scoffers? Things are not like they were before. First of all, you have divine interruptions of God in human history. And he shares one, picks it out right there. For instance, the days of the flood, verses 5 and 6. Oh, things were going along pretty good, then all of a sudden... You had a lot of evil on the face of the earth. And God did what? He destroyed the earth with a flood. Now, that was an interruption. It wasn't the same always. It hasn't been the same always. And so you have the days of the flood. Things don't always continue on as they were from the beginning. You have this disruption, this catastrophe, this event. Then you have a great judgment as in the days of Noah. And all through human history, you have these divine interruptions. They've not gone on the same. It was a long time in the days of Noah that sin continued to envelop the world and envelop the world, and there was a lot of long-suffering of God before all of a sudden judgment fell. And he called Noah into an ark of salvation, and he destroyed everything else on the face of the earth besides Noah and his family. But judgment finally failed. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. But notice what he said in verse 8. <clears throat> Don't forget this one thing, that the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years one day. Well, to us, we see things near to us, or we see things close at hand, or we see things miles and miles away. The distant things really don't concern us. Fires in California and Oregon, that really doesn't concern us. They're like far away. For us, there's yesterday and today and tomorrow. 
But with God, there is no thing past, listen up, there's no thing present, there's no thing future. All things with God are present. Now you need to remember this. All things with God are present. He looks upon the end. He looks upon the end, Genesis, creation. He looks upon the beginning all the way to the end. He sees a panoramic view at one time. Think of that. All time, all history, all one. A great panoramic view. You see, the name of Jehovah is God I Am. Exodus 3.14 I am in the past, I am in the present, I am in the future. His name was not I was. That would mean that he would cease somewhere along the line. But he says I am. I am all time, all eternity, all past, all future, all present, all sin, all omnipotent, all knowing, omniscient, all knowing God. All time. All time is present with God all the time. All history is present with God. All time and all history is ever present with God. Years ago, Kyle and I, we took this canoe trip down Bear Creek. It was a good trip. It was an exciting trip. We'd just drift along and then we'd go around one bend. I don't remember how old he was. Seems like he was about eight years old. Somewhere along in there. Been a long, long time. But we'd go around one bend. We'd come into a straight. We'd come into a narrow place. It'd widen out. The creek would open up in some spots, narrow in others. We'd cross some rapids, and then we would get hung up on a shoal, and we'd have to take our paddles and push off that shoal. And then there was one exciting time when we raced with a cotton mouth for a show, and we'd we got there at the same time he got there, and he stopped, raised that old cotton mouth, looked at us, and then he dove under, and we were hung up on that show, and we jammed the paddle, and as we did, we broke loose, and we could feel that, we could feel that snake on the bottom of that thin metal canoe. We enjoyed that trip so much we've never been back well, since. <laughs> After the tornado, I had an opportunity to, to fly from Hackleburg to Moton to view the path of the tornado. And we followed Bear Creek, that same creek Kyle and I went down. And up in the air, high up in the air, I could see, I could see bend after bend, a bend at a time, a rapid at a time, a narrow spot at a time. You see, God does the same thing. From beginning to the end, God sees it all at one time. He's in the present all at one time. He looks down on the stream of, of, of time and the river of life, and He sees it all together. Imagine that. We may be here, then we may be there, we may be over yonder, but God sees it all from the beginning to end, the whole stream of time. While I'm down here in the world, I see events happen, 
And I see them happen one at a time. But if I were God and I could stand on the greatness of eternity, I could see the entire, the entire stream of humanity and the entire history from the very beginning to the very end. That's how God sees it. All history moves in the present before God. He sees all of it, everything, always. He's looking at all the events at once. For example, he sees the fall of man in the garden, and at the same time he looks forward and he sees the cross of redemption there on Mount Calvary. He sees it all at one time. To us, you know, they're a thousand years apart. But to God, they stand side by side. And he sees them both together. Same way it was with Israel. He saw the story of Israel. He saw the decline of Israel. Then the departure of Israel from the land. Then the return of Israel to the land. And then he saw where, where Israel began to return back to the land. And how Israel became a nation. He, he saw it from the very beginning all the way to the time today with Israel. These events are... Hundreds and thousands of years from us in the past. But to God, he saw them in the future. You've been to, a, you know, you go to a, a parade. And, um, or maybe um, you see a parade pass by. Picture this. And you'll see this float. You may see six floats down. But yet, way on down, mile, see the last, the last floats down. You can't see it. But God looks at humanity that way, and he sees it from the beginning all the way to the day of the Lord. A thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years to the Lord. You say, well, Brother Sammy, how does this affect me? I'm lost. How does this affect me? Well, to be a scoffer and to be an unbeliever, who mocks God and who laughs and scorns at the promises of God. Where is your God? Why hasn't he been here? Why hasn't he returned? Let me tell you something. The words of God stand sure and fast. And he simply delays because of his loving mercy for you that you might turn from your sin and turn to him and be saved. That's why it's taken so long. You have caused it to be so long. I caused it to be so long. What does it mean to the Christian? And we wonder, dear Lord, how long, how long, how long is this going to be? A day to me is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's just been two days, two thousand years, two Two days since he uh, ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1, 9 through 10. Don't worry. He, he's going to be on time. He's going to be on his time. He'll be on his time. So don't worry about that. But for the Christian, he gives us, he, he comforts us, this consolation. Because he knows we get tired. We get weary. 
You ever get impatient? I do. God's people do. And so when we get impatient, we grow weary, don't we? Especially in days of darkness. Weary in riots and weary in protests and weary in activity. And we wonder, where's God? Why hasn't he come back? Why is he allowing this to happen? That's how they felt here in 1 Thessalonians. And he comforted them and said, don't worry. There's coming a time where I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you up and you're going to be with me forever. And so they felt worried then and we feel weary today in the days of crisis and the days of darkness and evil and death and destruction. We grow weary and waiting on God and He says a word of consolation to us, a word of comfort to those that wait on Him. And his answer is this. Your clock is not my clock. Your time is not my time. And your time is not the right time. And your time is not the divine time. Therefore, don't be ignorant. Just remember one thing. A day to me is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. I see it all. Don't you worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we have to come and share your word. And thanks for speaking to our heart this morning and letting us know there is a difference between the day of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord. I pray for people that are here today who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. I pray, Lord, that they would truly experience you to a point to where they turn from their sin and turn to you and, and truly believe and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died on the cross for their sins. He was buried and he arose again. And when they invite him into their life and give their life to him, he does make a difference, does make a change. And I pray, Lord, that anyone here today who has never trusted you they would truly come to you today where they would be a part of that day of Jesus Christ when you come back and you call up and you call out those who have put their faith and trust in you. And Father, I pray for those who have rejected you that today they would receive you. They would come and humble their heart and say, Brother Sammy, I want to be saved. I don't know what they're trusting in. They may be trusting in something else. They may have deceived themselves thinking they were lost because they trusted in something other than you. But I pray today they'll put their full faith and trust in you, Lord, for their salvation. You say that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by you, by you and nothing else. If we depend on something else, we really haven't put true faith and trust in you. I pray people will come today, and those who are listening or watching, wherever they may be, I pray they'll humble their heart right where they are and ask you to forgive them and turn from their sin and turn from another way, perhaps, but turn to you, the one true way. And Lord, I know one day we'll be in heaven together. But until then, help us to understand this deep thought about one day is a thousand years to you and a thousand years is one day to you. 
we can't see the overall scheme of things, but you can, and you're working out the best. And when we become weary, help us, we pray, to bend our knees and humble our hearts and pray. We pray for this, O world, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would remove this virus where we could get out among people and witness like you taught us to. But until then, help us, Lord, to put our faith and trust in you and rely on that every day. You've not given us a spirit of fear. If you've not given it to us, then the devil has. And help us, we pray, to repent of our fear and turn to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation time as people respond. In Jesus' name, amen.